There are lots of lousy businesses, and there's lots of wonderful businesses. It's the art and science of money. My job has been to try and figure out which is which. It's Hi-Fi Radio from the Global News Radio Studios in Toronto with Hi-Fi Portfolio Managers. Here's Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle. Welcome back. Hi-Fi Radio, 640 in Toronto. And here we are. Turn up your radio. going to help you with some money, money, money talk. Uh, we got uh, Tony Greer and Kevin Muir. Uh, Tony, of course, is in New York. Kevin is in studio. Uh, I cross-pollinated these two minds, shall I say. Uh, both of them were bloggers and writers and very, very creative and talented and, and thought-provoking. I said, my God, I want these two gentlemen to meet. Well, they met, and they actually created a uh, blog co-founder uh, of Where is Beaks? So we're going to speak to Tony Greer and Kevin Muir, uh, get their perspective on the markets, and get some funny stories about uh, the good old tales of Wall and Bay Street. Uh, dressing for success, I'm a big believer. I got my guy and his son, Brandon and Jeffrey Skirka, in the studio, owners of Classica Imports. It is spring. We got to keep our wardrobe fresh. It's important, but we don't need to spend a whole lot of money. No, you save that money. You transfer that over to Jack and I. We shall put that money to work and help it compound. But you're going to look good and compound at the same time if you play it right. And we're going to talk about the environment uh, Earth Day was, but I believe Earth Day is every day. So Kent Moore, PhD and professor at physics, atmospheric physics, that is, at U of T. Uh, he's going to talk to us about the environment and how we can be just a little bit greener. Green countries, not so green countries. Green companies, not so green companies. Keep it green, and I mean money, that is. Without further ado, let's uh, speak to our good friends uh, Kevin Muir in studio and Tony Greer in New York. Guys, how are you? Good, thanks. How about you, Wolf? Oh, we are very good. So, uh, Tony, I met you, I don't know, five, six years ago, uh, vis-a-vis your, your blog. Uh, I called you up one day and said, look, I'm coming to New York. Can we meet? And you were gracious enough to invite me down. Uh, you bought me dinner. Uh, we got to know each other, and uh, I, I became a very, very big fan of your work, Tony. It's great to have you back on the air with us. Yeah, man, it's great to be here. Thank you so much, Wolfie. And, yeah, but then I started reading Kevin's work, and I said, boy, these two guys are very similar, unique yet similar in style i think they're gonna like each other as so the guys check each, check, check each other workout well you did and then you guys became friends and created what is it where is beaks yeah it's a trading story blog um, we basically tony and i shared a lot of the same kind of background trading institutional tony was more on the floor traded uh the floor of, of the well tony where were you trading yeah, so I was on the floor of the New York Mercantile Exchange for the most part um, trading commodities with Goldman Sachs. Did you wear one of those funky cow, cow coats when you were doing that? A mesh back trading jacket, baby. <laughs> what was there? What was it? A mesh back trading jacket. I wonder if Classica can get me one of those. We'll have to talk to Jeff about that mesh back trading jacket. <laughs> yeah. uh, how many people on the floor today from, versus when you worked on it, uh, Tony? Oh, man, very, very few, Wolfie. I think there's only a couple of option rings that are really doing phone-to-broker business on the floor, if that. You know, the number's really been diminished greatly in the last five or ten years. Because I, when I actually met you, the, the next day I actually got a tour of the New York Stock Exchange, and that was the first question I asked uh, to my tour guide, who was just a, a trader on the floor, he saw me in the street, and we, we became friends and said, I'll give you a tour. Yeah, but it was, it was basically 90% of the bodies were gone, all left to, what they call, the machines. Um, and again, whenever we have a bit of a 
dip in the market. Uh, and if the dip's big enough, we start to blame the machines for those dips. Uh, I don't know if I truly buy into that. Yeah, uh, I, I don't believe that. At the end of the day, all those machines, the algos, are someone's putting it in order. The only thing that's changed is that in the old days, we used to go, I worked at RBC Dominion Securities on as an institutional equity derivatives trader. And we used to talk back and forth with Ontario teachers and um, the case to Depot and all these different clients. And they would actually be choosing levels to buy and sell securities. Well, nowadays, what they often do is they get up in the morning and they say, I have to buy half a million bell. And they stick it in the machine, quote unquote. Right. And uh, it's basically just a VWAP order, which stops, stands for volume weighted average price. Or you can do a TWAP order, which is time-weighted average price and they just slice it up throughout the day right and that's why it trading has become a lot less fun in that there's less interaction like tony used to go out down to the floor and and people would be sending in orders to buy and sell and there'd be emotion nowadays it's all just you know yeah paper up in the air he's running back they're yelling yeah. and screaming and uh and and, and nowadays it's just guys fun. putting in well it was you know, you know what tony does now he goes to fish concerts <laughs> Yes, Tony is a big fish guy. Are, are you a fish fan? No, well, as many as I can. Like, 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 I, I, that's sort of like hippie yeah. music, Tony, isn't it? Well, I'm still waiting for like their little, first little song to end. Uh, I think they have the record for the longest song. It was an hour and seven minutes or something. I'm not sure. Tony, how long was that, that's it? That's what we call an album cut, yeah. eh? a deep cut. <laughs> oh, my. Good golly. Y2K festivals. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Well, so, guys, look, I would have to say that, you know, working on Bay Street, you know, Jack and I have come across umpteen characters and you know i don't know what it is about money but uh, humor tends to come through money as well uh, i.e funny stories so i assume that where is beaks is all about these funny stories that you've come across in your well, career if that's the case share one with us um well you know tony do you want to tell uh, you want to go first bud no man why don't you go ahead i was just if i was going to say one thing you know we're trying to get where, where's beaks we're trying to bring back those days of trading like spartans whereas today do we trade like sheep in the electronic markets you know what i mean it was spartans human beings trading commodities with each other and that's what we're trying to rekindle some of the beautiful stories that happened uh, you know across uh, that period of time but so go ahead Kevin. i would say the, the funny the, the funny thing about uh, i think trading stories is a lot like uh, fishermen telling their stories that they tend to get embellished <laughs> over time that's right so, <laughs> there's some truth to them they start with a bit of truth but I think uh, over the years they, they certainly get a little more colorful. Okay, I can throw, let me start with one. In this, I'm going to throw my story out now. Okay. All right. A good friend of mine, uh, we're going to call him Mac. Okay. Uh, he was in a big panic one day. And I said, Mac, what's the matter? Oh, I got to go home, Wolf. I got to go home. Why do you have to go home, Mac? I got to bury my dog. Oh, I'm sorry about your loss. Well, no, my dog actually died three months ago. He's in my deep freezer. My wife said, I got a turkey coming for the weekend. You got to get that dog out of our freezer. I got to bury it. And so he left the office early, buried his dog, and all was good on the home front. Yes, my good old friend, Mac. But no, where is Beaks? Uh, some t- folklore. I don't know. Great stories. It's going to come come at us on Hi-Fi Radio. We're going to pay some bills and get back to Tony Greer on Wall Street and Kevin Muir on Bay Street right after this. Let's take a break. But after, Wolf and Jack will continue their in-depth discussion about money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Okay. Welcome back. There you go, Tony. Some Van Halen yeah. for you, my good friend, eh? It was, you know, some David Lee Roth was a guy I wasn't a big fan of. Uh, Eddie Van Halen could, could certainly play guitar, but David Lee Roth, I, there's something about that guy, man, I don't know. But you, for you, my good friend, you're a Van Halen fan, and uh, there you go. So where have all the good times gone? That's what we want to do. We want to bring back the good old days, and if we can't bring them back, well, we can talk about them. 
so where is Beaks? Kevin Muir, uh, Tony Greer in the studio, creators of Where is Beaks? Give us a story here, Tony. Yeah, so one quick one that I'll, I'll, I'll bring back is one that took place in the natural gas ring between uh, a big-time broker named Dookie and a local named Lurdy, who was a friend of mine, right? Now, Lurdy was used to trading one lots and two lots all the time. But he finally, it was a Friday afternoon, and he was excited. He wanted to make money. It was early on in his career. And he put out a 50-lot short at a price of, you know, 49 cents against the big 50-cent offer, right? So he's nervous as hell. He's got a 50-lot position on. And all of a sudden, he sees the biggest paper broker in the ring walk in. (laughs) He has no idea. Now, he knows he's about to either get blown up or he's about to make some money. And he is sweating profusely from his palms, right? All of a sudden, Dookie comes in and says, you know, how's this? You know, and everybody starts quoting the price. You know, there's some nine bids now out there. So Lurdy's already a bid offer out of the money. All of a sudden, Dookie starts selling these contracts furiously. At nine, he sells 200 at eight. He sells 500 down to seven. And Duke and Lurdy, my friend, is sitting there bidding the whole time for 50 lots on the bid. And Dookie is smashing other bids. He's hitting paper bids. He knocks it all the way down to five. And by the time it gets down to five, my friend Lurdy is literally hanging off of his arms saying, Dookie, Dookie, I'm a bid for 50. I'm a bid for 50. And Dookie literally gets to the last 100 lots of his order. He sells 50 to man. He goes, Lurdy, you bought 50 at four, one of the lowest prices that he filled on the order. And to make a long story short, Lurdy covered his 50 lot short with a five-cent profit, but it was the longest three minutes of his life because he couldn't get Dookie's attention. You know, he was trying to buy his position back from the actual paper seller and the paper seller was kind of saw him bidding there, but knew that he had much bigger orders to whale away on. And he was hitting other, the other paper bids and he saved the 50 lot for Lurdy to clean up as his last 50 long story short, Lurdy made a lot of money. He learned a lot what it was about to be in the ring. And when Dookie sold him the last 50 lots, the last thing he said to him was, could you calm down a little bit, please? I got you, kid. I got you. <laughs> you know what I mean? But that's how it was back then, and I miss those days. That's why I wanted to say where have all the good times gone. So how much money did he make on that on that 50-lot trade that he was to, began with? So uh, he made a nickel on a 50-lot in natural gas, which is priced like silver. So I guess that's uh, 12.5. But he made it. To, he made $12,500 in you know, all of about 30, 30 seconds to a minute and a half time. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, so he was trading futures, was he? Is that what it was? What do you call him? Lots. He's trading, trading the futures business, eh? Exactly. He was trading natural gas futures contracts at the time. Yeah. Hey, we spoke a little bit about the, the history of, of the futures market, but um, both of you guys have traded futures in the past, so you actually understand. Again, my, my understanding of the futures market really, it began with the farmers, a place for them to pass on risk um, in terms of pricing. They, they knew what their seeds cost. They knew how much fuel and, and labor they had to input into their crop. Uh, they want to assure a certain price to make sure they made money, and so they uh, sold their goods in advance of to the futures. That's correct. It made it so uh, farmers could lay off their risk and they could go out and plant and know that they were going to achieve their crop. And at the same time, the guys that were making bread or something could lock in their price and know that they could buy their crop. Right. And, so, that, and that stuff takes place today. We, we often forget that. But automotive companies would, would buy their steel in advance. The oil companies would sell their, their, their oil uh, and, and hedge their, their book, shall we say, which means sell into the futures business, uh, futures market in advance of uh, production. You're absolutely correct, Wolf. All right. So, Kevin, give, give us a story here. Well, I was kind of laughing. Where is Beaks? I was kind of laughing with Tony's story because you really had to know the lingo to understand what was going well, on Plus, he drew the New York accent. <laughs> plus, 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 his New York minute speed. My good. Okay. The, the story, the, the, that, three minute, that was three minutes of trading. is a six-minute story. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll try one that's a little simpler. So I'm I'll, a writer. I'll, I'm a writer. You can't give me the floor. <laughs> so I'll try one that's a little simpler, maybe I understand. So I worked on the RBC DS 
institutional equity derivative desk. And when I first started, I was a young guy and I was sitting there and I was putting in my time getting the lunches. And what happened was uh, the fellow that worked kind of that I was uh, helping out, the institutional trader, got an order. And all of a sudden he got this order and it was came from his big boss and he started buying Methanex and he bought it quickly and a lot and he kept buying it and buying it and buying it. And I was wondering what the heck's going on here? Why are we buying so much Methanex? At the end of the day, he reported his fill to the client and he says, you bought... Two million methanex or whatever the number two million was. shares of methanex. Yeah, at eight eleven. Yeah, so, yeah, and they so got up 16, the, 16 million. That's order. right, and got up the next day, and the order kept coming, and it was just every single day. I got up, and the order would go on and on and on and on, and we took methanex from I don't know ten dollars to twenty dollars. So by buying, you that's kept put, correct. You, you pushed up the stock. It. Yeah, and I was just a young kid. This was in the nineties, and I was wondering who this client was, and 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 my the trader looked at me and said Tiger, like I was supposed to know what Tiger was. So I go home and pull up my. I'm in Tiger Woods. No, <laughs> I pull up my 26 baud modem and log into AOL or 26 baud, <laughs> and I find out that Tiger refers to Julian Robertson, and Julian Robertson is one of the most famous uh, hedge fund traders of the 90s, and Tiger Management was his company, and they went and they took the stock from ten dollars to twenty dollars over the course of a few months. Then all of a sudden one day the order stopped, and I couldn't figure out what was going on. And all of a sudden, after kind of a couple hours of them going back and forth, I get this, they announced to the desk that we're going up on a big print, meaning that we're going to put on a trade where we match the buyer and the seller. And what happened is we printed 20 million Methanex at 20 bucks or something like that, some number. And uh, we, the, the head trader then announces, we're putting 20 million Methanex on the tape and we come out a bigger seller. And guess what? Who was selling it to him? It was George Soros. Soros had watched him, Julian Robertson, take this Methanex from $10 to $20 and decided that was it. Enough was enough. And he plugged them with the whole, whatever the balance of his order was. And it was then I kind of saw two just yeah, titans, titans yeah. of the of the uh, hedge fund world. Wow. So Tiger versus Soros. Eh? That's correct. And it was it was great. I was sitting there in Toronto on you the know, desk. Both, both parties can make money. Well, for sure. In this case, though, Soros came out way ahead because I think that was the high, and I never saw that again. Remarkable, remarkable. Well, Kevin, it's a treat having you and Tony uh, in studio and online. Uh, How can uh, listeners uh, uh, tap into Where is Beaks? So Where is Beaks is from Trading Places. It's the famous line of uh, when Clarence Beaks in the gorilla suit. And you can reach us at www.whereisbeaks, and Beaks is spelled B-E-E-K-S dot com. Where is beaks.com? As simple as that. And how long have you guys been writing uh, on this blog? Uh, this is a relatively new endeavor. I think we've been going a couple months. And if any uh, other old, old-timers like us want to share their stories, we have a place there for people to submit. Is that right? I think I will submit. Oh, that'd be great. Indeed. Uh, yes, I guess I'm an old-timer. Uh, Tony? Dude, I yes. wish you a wonderful, wonderful weekend in New York. Uh, always a pleasure having you on the show. And let's do this again, all right? Uh, great to be here, Wolfie. Great to talk to you. Thanks for having me, sir. It is our absolute pleasure. Uh, coming up next is going to be Kent Moore, a professor in physics and atmospheric physics at U of T. How do we get green, and what is the economic benefit of being just that green? Right after this. Let's take a break. But after, Wolf and Jack will continue their in-depth discussion about money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Ancient court of coexistence hacked by a parasitic greedhead scam.
Hi, don't you feel better? Welcome back. A little Bruce Coburn. He was all about the environment. So am I. So is Jack. And so is Kent Moore. Uh, he's a professor at the University of Toronto. Uh, what is it? Uh, physics and atmospheric studies? Uh, yes, I'm an, I'm, I'm an atmospheric physicist. You are a? Atmospheric physicist. An atmospheric physicist, huh? Uh, tell me something. How many uh, combustible cars exist on the Canadian roads? Pop quiz. Take a uh, guess. 10 million. That was my That's guess, professor. Guess. That was my guess. And that answer is C, but the right answer is B, my good friend. 33 million in wow. Canada. There are 33 million combustible, combustible vehicles on the roads in Canada. How many electric cars on the road so far? A million. 47,000, my friend. Wow. We have some work to do, don't you? We certainly do. You do, as a matter of fact. So uh, give us the good news here. Is there some good news uh, based on all your studies in terms of Canada? Are we getting greener? Are we doing our part? Uh, and if we are, who's actually doing the biggest part of all? I think we've got a long way to go. I, I think your statistics there just said, I mean, you know, clearly we need to reduce our carbon footprint and having th you know, 33 million, you know, cars burning uh, fuel out on the road and only 47,000 electric vehicles, <laughs> yeah. we really need to, to do more. So I, I don't think we're, uh, I think we have a, a long way to go. So, so the students that take your courses, uh, how do you present it to them in terms of, uh, you know, where we're at and where we're headed with the environment, um, you know, in the developed world? Well, you know, it's, it's actually, it's a complicated question. I, I was just at a school uh, just uh, a couple days ago and a student asked me that same question. And, and you know, unfortunately in, in, the, in the West, right, our standard of living is a function of how much carbon we use, right? So, uh, you know, if we reduce our carbon, we'll reduce our standard of living right now. So I think we have to do more to, to decarbonize the environment. Uh, this student said that one of the big problems she saw was that industry was burning all the carbon. And I said, well, industry is building things that we use. Yeah, and you, so I was saying we you, look at, yeah. you look at the developing economies, they want to get to where we are being a developed economy. And to do so, I mean, they need to still, they need to build that same infrastructure. They need to have that carbon heavy. But, but I want to talk about carbon because I watched a good piece on Nova a couple of days ago. And I, I'm glad I did because it, 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 I was teeing up for, for our interview here. Carbon capture. There's, there's a company out in Canada, uh, out in Canada, I live in Canada, yeah, right. Okay, <laughs> company in Canada that actually is is capturing all of its carbon and then it's, it's pumping it a couple miles down into Mother Earth as it sits there. But then moved on to a farmer and this farmer said, you know something, every year when I till my soil, the good carbon in the earth is leaving the earth and it's actually going up into the environment. If I stop tilling, I'll keep the carbon in the earth. The more carbon in the soil, the better the crops. So carbon, I don't think, is all bad, is it? Oh, no, fact, no. We, we are made of carbon. Exactly point. The other point about carbon is that, uh, you know, if we didn't have an atmosphere, the surface temperature of the earth would be about minus 30 degrees Celsius. Minus 30. So we wouldn't exist. So it's so, so, so like what we witnessed the last seven months. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So, I mean, so... You want more of it? <laughs> so when I talk to my students, I make the distinction between what I call the good greenhouse effect, which is the greenhouse effect that raises our temperature from that of the moon, you know, to something which is habitable. And then there's the kind of the bad or the anthropogenic greenhouse effect, which is the extra carbon that we're adding. Yeah, the the extreme Sorry? example of that would be Venus uh, being a, they have massive amount of greenhouse gases and what's the temperature on their surface? It's like minus 900 degrees. So it's, they've actually had what's called a, a runaway greenhouse effect where essentially there was so much uh, heat in the atmosphere, they started essentially dissolving carbon out of, out of the rocks. So that's, that's the extreme. We're not going to get there. No, no. But I but mean, it, it, it shows you what happens at the extreme levels, exactly. right? Exactly. So carbon is, you know, so carbon is a good side to it as, you know, it is, we're made of carbon. 
But I think we need to reduce our footprint as much as we can. And it's hard. I mean, I think it's a real, you know, I think the Trans Mountain Pipeline is a good example of that. I mean, I think, uh, you know, there are good and bad things about that. I think, frankly, whether we, you know, build it or not is not going to change, frankly, the amount of carbon that's being released in, into the atmosphere. And someone else will just pick up that, that slack right now. So I think that there's probably a case to be made to, to build it, uh, you know, to help maintain the economy in Canada, which frankly is resource-based. But, you know, over, resource the, based. over the longer term, we have to start moving off of it. And I think I just noticed today in the paper that HSBC, I guess, has now said that, you know, they're taking into account kind of climate risk in their assessments, and they're not going to fund any more greenfield oil sand projects. So, so prof- but let's go back to the Trans Mountain, Professor. How nasty will that project be to the BC environment? Because if, my, my, when I envision a pipeline, I, I envision an area, say, the width of a road, being clear-cut through the forest and up and over well, there's already yonder, the, pipe- yonder the thing is, there's already the pipeline there, right? They're putting an extension on it. Like, so. So yeah, but so they have to clear some land, obviously, yeah, sure. and go over some river. Yeah. But I don't see it being that nasty I don't think, to the environment. I don't think I BC's... Spill, I could see a spill being a problem. I don't think their pipe, objection no. is to the pipeline itself. Their objection is to what happens when it gets to tidewater, and then there's more tankers coming into uh, you oh. know, the area. So my, my understanding is that's the problem, not so much the... Uh, the, the pipeline itself, although there are, I think, some in, indigenous, you know, groups along the pipeline who are concerned with actual the, the right of way, but it's mostly, I think, they're they're. So doing I would say when, when Canadians look at it, they have to look at it from a realistic point of view. Like you said, at the end of the day, and I, I know we don't like to use that term in here, Wolf, but at the end of the day, <laughs> I mean, it's you know what I mean. You have uh, options, right? And a pipeline to move fuel is actually the most efficient and environmentally friendly yeah. way to move, move fuel. So, so, I mean, so yeah, it, well, let's ask the professor that question: is, is it better to move a barrel by rail or by pipe? Well, I think by pipe. I by mean, pipe. there are, there yeah. are risks and. And again, they're they're going to do it, right? Look at uh, yeah. at some, at some Mac, point, Magnantique. I mean, they're they're going to move it by rail, and that's much more dangerous. At some point, we want to transition into these alternative uh, options that we have available. But we're not there yet, and you you had a great example just with the amount of vehicles that are uh, forty-seven thousand electric vehicles in aggregate on Canadian streets, thirty-three million combustibles. So out you have there. to be realistic, right? Wow, what a number! Look, uh, we got a professor in the studio, Kent Moore, a PhD, big brain. Uh, and it's all for free, folks. We get educated for free on Hi-Fi Radio. And after, of course, the professor, we're going to learn how to dress for success with my friend Jeffrey Skirka and his handsome son, Brandon Skirka. Stay tuned, folks. More of Hi-Fi Radio right after this. Money. Listen, we're going to take a break. But when we come back, money. more money talk. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Welcome back. Hi-Fi Radio, 640 in Toronto. Wolfgang Klein, your host. Jack Hartle, producer of the show. And we got Kent Moore in the studio, a professor of physics and atmospheric studies at University of Toronto. So you've marked all of your uh, students' exams. That's right. You've given passes to everybody. Did uh, pass? Most people passed. Oh, who failed? <laughs> <laughs> you can't, can't tell, tell you. us that, can you? Oh, boy, oh, boy. I got a piece here. Um, the 20 most environment, um, environmentally friendly countries and the 20 biggest stinkers when it comes to the environment. But the 20 is most friendly. Finland, Iceland, Sweden, Denmark, Slovenia, Spain. I look for Canada, my good friend, out of 20 countries, not on the list. Luxembourg is the last one. Ireland, even Ireland is greener than Canada. Uh, the good news is we're not on the 20 
countries with the most polluted urban areas. Pakistan, number one. Qatar, number two. Afghanistan, Bangladesh, Egypt, UAE, Mongolia, India, Bahrain, Nepal, Ghana. This is where the polluted urban centers lined. So Mother Earth, we have a lot of work to do to clean up Mother Earth, don't we? Yeah, we do. Yeah. Uh, well, what do you think the, the, the first natural step is? Let's speak about industry, because obviously this is a show about money. And uh, if we make good investments, we, we learned last week, uh, gender diversity, having more women in business and, and, and important roles in business, i.e. at the C-suite, makes for a better long-term investment. Uh, people tend to be happier working there. Uh, and as such, uh, shareholders ultimately benefit. Uh, can we say the same about companies that environmentally um concerned and, and, and actively taking a role in improving uh, Mother Earth. Can, 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 can profit and, and, and that mindset coexist? I think it can. I mean, I think it takes a bit more, maybe, uh, maybe the horizon's a bit, a bit longer, but I think it certainly can. I think of things like, uh, you know, battery tech technology, Tesla's, you know, these, this power plant they put into uh, Australia that is able to, you know, very, very quickly, uh, you know, put... Uh, power on, onto the grid rather than spinning up a, a turbine or whatever. So I think, I think there are ways to do that. I think, uh, you know, with Bloomberg, uh, you know, pushing this sort of uh, including climate risks in sort of assessments moving forward is going to essentially put the onus on companies to look at that and essentially plan for that. And uh, I think that can only be good for the environment. Uh, it's a long hoe to row. If you build a power plant, a coal plant, and you expect to amortize that over 30 or 40 years, if you shut it down next, next week, who's going to pay you for that, right? I mean, I think we have to take, be realistic that there are some longer-term you know, costs involved in, in transitioning to a carbon or a decarbonized uh, infrastructure, but we need to work at that, and it's going to take some time. But I think uh, companies that, that start looking that way, I think, will pay off in the future. Yeah, I saw a program on Nova. And on it, they say, look, if we do nothing, we suffer. If we want to reduce pain, we have to either adapt or actually mitigate uh, our impact or a combination of adapting and mitigating. And in so doing, we ultimately can prosper. So from suffer to prosper, in between, we got to either adapt and or mitigate. And it's this mitigation process from a corporate world. It's a very difficult thing to come up with. And um, they need government policy, I think, in place and incentives. And most of the time, you know, being, uh, you know, the capitalist business uh, people that we are, Wolfgang, mm -hmm. you don't, we don't like government policy. We don't like government interference. But when there's a cost and there is a cost to, to protect the environment, uh, for the long-term benefits, I think it is a positive thing when the government steps in, and they certainly can, you know, uh, have a long-term positive impact on our. See, I, I think outcomes. that we, yeah, I, I agree with you, Jack. We don't, I don't, we want to be at a point in, in in time where this is not government initiative. This is our, 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 our as residents of Mother Earth, we take the own initiative. So, look, 2018 winners, uh, Canada's greenest employers, top of the list, BC Hydro and Bell Canada. The phone company? I guess the phone company, they don't, they don't step on a whole lot of things. They don't produce a lot of stuff. They, they just give a big fat uh, well, phone bill. I guess bills. they probably big wait for hybrid vehicles or something. You know, I mean, there's, there's lots of ways that we Bla can do Blackberry that. apparently was, was a winner. These aren't companies that, that seem to be top of my mind when I think of a green company. Ford Motor Company, General Motor Company of Canada, making this green list, believe it or not. One of our previous guests was telling us, in fact, that from an R&D perspective, uh, those who spend the most in R&D from a green 
stance are going to ultimately benefit the most. Uh, and you went into companies like uh, Microsoft and IBM uh, with their innovation uh, in, in, in software and the likes that they are able to help companies become greener. Uh, but th those, those are long-term capital costs that they're putting up front. And like I said, they need those incentives to get the ball rolling, to get that uh, self-perpetuating uh, opportunity for the environment and, and or the, the self-perpetuating business opportunity uh, for it to gain traction. And, and that is through government incentives, unfortunately. Yeah, I think the horizon's a little bit too too long right now, as yeah. as you're saying, Jack. I think you know if you're looking at the bottom line next quarter, any investment you make in sort of uh, adapting or mitigating climate change isn't going to pay off in the next quarter. It's really looking you know ten years down down the road. And the and problem so with the markets is they're always looking for the next quarter and the the annual bonuses and that. So it's a bit short sighted. So you need uh, long term initiatives. And uh, unfortunately, the government uh, is very positive in, in those types of things where they can set policy and the framework for these types of businesses. But you know, again, interesting point because uh, Jack and I over the weekend read a piece uh, from Warren Buffett and and Warren Buffett's edge in business and one of he has multiple edges right in business deep pockets lots of experience but. One one of them is he can take a long-term perspective and time horizon on his investments. He doesn't have to worry quarter to quarter. A lot of his companies end up privatizing, just puts them underneath his belt and thinks out five and 10 years. So with that in mind, then I think companies can all of a sudden take a different viewpoint on it um, in terms of making an investment that, that is going to have a green outcome for them, and, and but actually see a rate of return on that investment, but not immediately, correct? Yeah, I guess it depends on your corporate structure, right? If you're Warren Buffett, you, you privatize your company, you can do that, then I guess... It's possible that if you're a CEO who's got to face the, you know, that your shareholders next quarter, and, and you're say I'm looking ten years down the road, then they may they may decide to so move their money. We we tend to see the the first issues are around climate uh, in the oceans, correct? The, the, the problems That's correct. Be, the problems begin in the ocean, and then from there. Uh, disseminate out, but the, the, apparently coral reef, 50% uh, of the world's coral reef is now dead. Uh, yep. In the ocean, we have this big, I don't even know where it is, I've caught it in the media a few years ago, big swirl of plastic bottles swimming yep. around. There's that big one in the, in the North Pacific, yeah. Yep. Unbelievable. And again, I don't think the world knows that story well enough. I think that's a very, very important story because out in Vancouver, apparently a, a whale came up to shore, they dissected the whale and pulled out about 50 pounds of plastic from the whale's yep. belly. Yeah, no, it's, this uh, is not good stuff. No, it's not. And uh, and again, I think it's uh, partly education. But the, but the economic, sorry, the economic benefit is if you lose the coral, they're going to lose the tourism. Yep, yep. Right? So we got to protect the coral if you want the tourism. Australia is the one who loses. They don't lose. So, I mean, this is the classic problem, right? Is that, you know, the atmosphere, the environment is a shared resource. And if one or two people, you know, defile that resource, we all suffer, but ne there's not necessarily any penalty on, on that person. So I think that's, that's the classic problem in environmental science is that, you know, these are shared resources, and unless everyone acknowledges that it's an important resource, then we're always going to have these, these, these problems. And even if, even if Australia wants to protect the coral, they can't do that because the carbon that goes into the ocean anywhere is going to end up, you know, causing issues in the uh, coral. So we all have to buy into it. And, you know, classically, I think the problem was is the developing countries, the India, China, the world, said that, you know, we don't want to, uh, you know, sir, we need to industrialize, as Jack was saying, we need to essentially burn carbon for 100 years to get to the point where you're at. Where you're yeah. at. And I think they've come around to that. I think, you know, uh, I think China has now recognized that, you know, they have a huge environmental issue and they have to essentially almost leapfrog us. And, Just and, like and, and, other countries have leapfrogged, you know, in, in uh, Africa, 
Everyone has a cell phone. There's no landlines at yeah, all. They and, jumped and, and, that whole tech technology. They did, yeah, but in Indians stole a bunch of the call centers, I now call us. Yeah. I guess to make up the shortfall in economic activity when industrial perspective. Uh, Kent Moore, we are out of time, my good friend. A real pleasure. Uh, one one love, one world, my good friend. We are all brothers and sisters in the same home. We well, take, thank you very much. Yeah, and we got to take care of uh, Mother Earth in this consumption world that we live in. You know? We certainly do. Yeah. Real pleasure. Coming up next, we're going to help you dress for success. And you know something? Probably good for the environment because you get less fabric when you buy a suit today, my good friends. Gone to the baggy pants. It's all slim fit until it's not. Right after this, Jeffrey Skirka and Brandon Skirka of Classic Imports. Making money is the best. So how do you make more money? Come on back after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome back. Hi-Fi Radio, 640 in Toronto, show about money and part of financial success is dressing for success, I believe. I'm a product of the 80s. They taught me that in the 80s, but I think it still holds true today. I don't know about the floods up to the knees. My parents uh, made me wear floods because we couldn't afford anything but, and so I started having an aversion to wearing floods as an adult. Uh, mine, they're, they're getting high, some some guys' pants, eh? the way they, the hems just seem to come up, right, uh, Jeffrey and Brandon? Yeah, shorter and tighter. That's but, what did, did, like, like but at what point, like how far up above the ankle do we do, do men's trousers need to be? I think right above the shoe. That way you get to show off the shoe, and when you walk, you show off some sock. Right, like, like right now, and you're sitting down, so your, your, your pant is going to naturally pull up a bit higher anyways. Right. But if you start too high and you sit in a chair, you're showing off your hairy leg if it's hairy, or your white leg if it's me. Yeah, you don't want to look like it's uh, you know, your first suit ever. No, so, so, so let's talk about that. I, I did some research because I'm up against pros here, Jeffrey Skirka and Brandon Skirka of Classica Imports, my guys. For 30 years, I mean mm-hmm. that for 30 years. It's 2018, and I met you in 88. Uh, so 30 years, Jeffrey, you've been taking care of it. So uh, let's go back to last time you had this. I had you in the studio. I spoke to you about the Mozart package at Bay Blur Radio. It was your starter stereo that Mark Mandelson came out with back in, back in the 80s, I guess, back in the 90s. Um, so a couple of truths about suits. Number one, you need at least one suit. I don't care what you do for a living. You must have one suit. Now, I bought my son a suit in January because we had a... Uh, a death in the family. My father-in-law passed away. God Sorry rest. To hear about God that. rest, Mr. Hart's soul. God rest, Dad's soul. Um, so I bought my son a funeral suit. Bought it at Morris because he was at the time still a youth. He said, "Dad, I need another suit." Three months later, because I'm going to semi-formal, I said, "You don't need another suit. You have a suit." Dad, I can't wear that suit. And you know, he made a good point because it really was an old man suit. It was an old style, and it worked for a funeral, but it didn't work for a semi-formal. You sold me a nice suit, Jeffrey, for my son uh, at a very, very good price. Thank you very kindly. And, well, I will say Sebastian was a hit at his semi-formal. Looked fantastic. So we all need one suit, and something may need a couple. But in terms of buying that first suit, uh, how much do you believe you need to spend? Because any, the, the, if you spend less, Jack and I can get the delta of the dollars and invest it for our, our people, shall I say. Mm-hmm. So don't spend too much on the suit. You want to get good value for the clothes that you buy. Right? You don't want to go buy the more suit that Wolfgang's talking about. You can wear it to a funeral, but that's basically all you can wear it for. You want a nice suit that's good utility. You can wear it for any occasion that's you know semi-formal to a, not maybe not a prom, but maybe your first job interview, that type of thing. Right. Like for a young guy, you know, I always say go Navy, most versatile suit. Job interviews, formals, parties, you know, something you can dress up, dress down. That's definitely your best option. Um, you know, something dark Navy, 
That's what I always recommend. So, some vers- so, some so uh, when, when you're buying that suit, uh, do you buy the the one that Wolfgang's talking about that's tight with the floods, or is it, uh, you know what I mean, more of a utility suit that you can wear on any occasion? It depends, really, on your personal style, I'd say. But, um, you know, something slimmer, trim, more in style. Nothing too tight. I mean, you don't want to uh, rip your pants on yeah, the first it was, day. Of, it, it was funny because there was a guy in our office. There was a, a young guy. <laughs> so I, I'm the, the middle guy. I'm almost 40. There's a young guy. He's in his early 30s. And then there's a guy in his 50s. So the young guy, he had, a, like I said, around 30 years old. Very tight suit. So he could barely sit down without ripping right. his pants. Then there's me that's sort of in between. <laughs> and then there's the old guy with a double-breasted jacket. And he's got pleats. Oh, yeah. And he still big, has big, big, the big, 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 too. big baggy pants and, and, and cuffs on the bottom. Yeah. And I just looked at us and I saw the three generations. I was yeah. laughing so hard. It was so funny. <laughs> but, but no, according to according to what is it? Men's Health magazine. Get yeah. stylish. Just because it's 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 affordable doesn't mean it has to be stuffy. Because again, usually the cheaper stuff tends to be that, that old fashioned stuff. But that's not the case. It's in the past, inexpensive men conservative too. No, no more modern trend driven details, including peak labels, double vents, and a variety of patterns and fabrics are now attainable for in and around the three hundred dollar mark. Right. As a starting point, uh, do you guys offer suits to the public at around three, three hundred bucks, four hundred bucks? Uh, no, no, not with us. No, not. You find so- something like that typically at like a fast fashion retailer, where they, you know, they get new stuff every day and they hop on the latest trend. So, okay, so here's what I want you guys to do. I want you to think of during commercial break, which is coming up right now, uh, as to what a a package would cost, right? And, right? and I think you guys should brand this package. I really do. I, I mentioned this yeah. before. Uh, you come up with a name because it's, it's your starter package, but For sure. allowing someone to Walk out of university, go for a job interview, maybe become a salesperson, go in front of clients. Right. What, what should they wear? So give us some thought. We're going to mm-hmm. pay some bills and get right back to you on Hi-Fi Radio, Global News Radio, 640 in Toronto. Stay with us. There's more shows still to come. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. There you go. Hi-Fi Radio, 640 in Toronto. How to dress for success in business. According to Investopedia, in the corporate world, first impressions are very important. If you do not put your best foot forward, your first chance to make a good impression may also be your last chance. And then they get on to, of course, dress code. Number one, always adhere to the dress code established by your office. Uh, Number two, when unsure, offer business dress rather than casual uh, apparel number three maintain a clean and well-groomed appearance uh, and number four a work wardrobe doesn't have to be expensive so in terms of not expensive uh, 25 year old individual uh, leaving school looking for their first job engineer accountant uh, lawyer uh, what do they have to invest in a suit to pull all this off yeah I think I write around a thousand dollars and get a nice suit a nice pair of shoes shirt tie uh, belt. You know, belts, the whole package, right around there, maybe a little more, maybe a little, a little less, depending on where you, where you go. You'll definitely find uh, some quality items in that price range. Now, in that price range, number three on this list here from Men's Health, look for made in Italy. Call it unjust, it says, the country with the most beautiful women in the world also boasts the best suits. Spending $1,000 or more will get you into the latter. Uh, as for the former, well, wearing a nice suit isn't going to hurt. Mm-hmm. So do you need to buy stuff made in Italy? I don't believe so anymore. It definitely goes a long way, and they make beautiful stuff, but you can find stuff that is a little more affordable and definitely good quality these days. Um, there's a lot of nice stuff out of Turkey, um, you know, out of Germany. They make a lot of nice stuff. 
Hungary, a lot of places in Europe you'll find that a lot of nice, they make a lot of nice clothing. So the $1,000 Opu wouldn't be coming from Italy. It's, no. it's quite a bit more. But no, Probably but not, no. What confuses me, you, you mentioned, uh, sorry, you mentioned Hungary. Yes. Um, you also mentioned Germany. Yes. Uh, Germany is the powerhouse of, of, of Europe. So I can't see them making suits for good value. They're pretty socialistic. The, the, the wages must be quite high in Germany. Right. Um, is, it, is it the German, German engineering? I mean, they managed to pull it off? It could be, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Yeah, it is. Really, eh? Mm-hmm. Well, wow. the, I would say the one thing to remember with the, the suits that you buy, too, if you're wearing them every day, it's good to have a, a nice suit to go for one job interview. But if you're wearing it every day, as like you said, as a sales guy, where you're required to wear a suit, you don't want to buy an off-the-rack $200 more suit that's going to fall apart in two months. Because you know what I mean? At the end of the day, you're going to spend the same amount, and it won't, you won't look as right. good. Yeah, if you wear something every day, you know, it's not uh, made of steel. It's going to get a lot of wear and tear. So that's where you want the good quality and the good value. And if you're paying a thousand bucks for it and it lasts you a while, 100%. then it makes a lot of sense. So so let's talk then about built-in obsolescence. The fashion industry loves obsolescence. You guys are, you guys thrive on obsolescence. Well, Faye, what are you doing? Got to get that. You look dated. Time to come back to the Classica for my visit with Jeffrey. I actually have an annual visit with you. In fact, it's turning to a quarterly visit with you, Jeffrey. <laughs> I don't know if that's more fun, you or I. But you, you meant to hook me in and lure me back up to your store over on Bridgeland Road, just down the road from Yorkdale, where your rent is cheap and you managed to pass some of those savings on <laughs> to your to your uh, uh, consumer but oh, built yeah. in obsolescence so we spoke about the floods um but apparently uh, the best looks for menswear shows how to make them work for you they're speaking then about incorporating your dad's look from the 80s to your look from 2018 and i'm seeing bag your pants walk down the uh, runway in in milan uh big big bulkier jackets coming to market so are you guys yeah. starting to see this stuff or is no. this, this slim fit going to be around for another the month or so? It will be around for a while. The baggy stuff is premature right now. What you see on the runway usually takes two to three years to come to market. Yeah. Wait, 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 is that, buy, is that the it? North American market or yeah. it'll be big baggy over in Europe and then arrives here uh, onshore in a couple of years? Yeah, a couple of years. Like how's the suit I have on right now? Beautiful. Does, does it work? Is it, is it still current? Yeah, it's still current. Because you sold me this suit, Jeffrey, about six years ago. It's a Nick Carlson suit. Um, it's got a beautiful liner. They spoke in this article about the importance of liners. And yeah. once you had to spend a lot of money to get a... Is it, what, what, what fabric is that? Silk. It's silk. So silk breeze. That's what you want as well. A good breathable liner. Right. Uh, very, very important stuff. Look, in the interest of time, guys, uh, please, Classic Imports, share with us your, your, your unique selling problem. Why should people care about Classic and come to Classica? What well, are you going to do, do for customers that you haven't done for me? Well, I think we really pride ourselves on good service. Uh, you know, uh, my father's been in the industry a long time, and he, you know, has lasted all these years for a reason. And guys like you keep coming back because of the service he provides. Yeah, but you know why I come by? It's not the service. In fact, Jeffrey gives me a hard time all the time. It's your taste. Right. Jeffrey has great taste. And, and, and that's what one of your clients, because you also you wholesale and retail. Right. Uh, so I like to be treated as a wholesale Well, I was getting customer. there to our taste. Yeah. But no, it's, it's, you, you do. You have su- superb taste, uh, I, I believe. Thank uh, you You, you travel much. to Europe. Your, your, your dad travels to Europe. You go with him, I guess. Yeah, so. buying trips, you know, it's a must. You got to see what's out there. Got to visit the factories, make sure everything's in line, and, uh, you know, make sure that they know what's going on. And, and you're starting to white label stuff as well and have stuff made specifically for yourselves? Yeah, so um, we kind of shifted gears a little bit, and we like to make our own things now. Um, Stuff that you can't really find anywhere else, right? So, you know, a lot of people do a lot of window shopping. They go to stores, and they buy it online. At us, you can only really find it at us, and, you know, we like to have a lot of unique pieces you really can't find anywhere else, and it's our own. Yeah. And it really, you know, has our DNA in the clothing and in our merchandising. It's really, you know, a classical product. Yeah, but like, I, I, I think I, when people look at you, it's like, okay, where does that guy shop? You must yeah, get no, tons I, of questions. I, I get a lot of compliments on the stuff that you you you, you sell to me, and it's 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 a, it's a privilege and a pleasure to to wear your garments. Yeah. Uh, Jeffrey yes. Skirka. 
Brandon Skurka, a pleasure having you in the studio, my good friends. Pleasure Thank being you. here. And I uh, want to wish you all a great weekend. Thank you for tuning in to Hi-Fi Radio. We will be with you once again next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. Listening to Hi Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle, portfolio managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any money questions you need answered, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. Hi Fi Radio for the love of money. We'll see you next week.